Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Hey, howdy, hey. My Bruin brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ, it's smooth. This is very professional. <laughs> I think I think we we've got this down pat. Eight oh, years yeah. in, and and we it's it's like like butter. This. We we couldn't do it any better if we were sleeping. <laughs> it would probably sound better if I was if it was fully asleep. Should we just start over instead of just tired? <laughs> <laughs> let's just start over. Oh yeah, let's let's just make it worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! You know this is what happens when you drink before you think. There you go. Yeah. Or you think before you drink. What does it say? What does an announcer man say? Uh, drink before they think. Is that what they say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that pretty it's much that's true. If you thought before you drank, that wouldn't be very provocative, would it? Hmm. I'm going to consider uh, having Drinking this fourth blindly. Thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't bother with that type of thing. So I'm not 100% sure what kind of show we're going to do here. Um, but... I think it'll be riveting no matter what. Well, luckily, we have a guest to bail us out. Right. So let's go to my idea of of the show, which was uh, we've got in the studio with us uh, Ken Anthony from Device Brewing in Sacramento, California. And he started out uh, with a a, a nano concept. And uh, we talked about the last show, some of the things he learned and the struggles that he had with the nano and getting up to a size that's now a sustainable business model, Um, (laughs) possibly. Uh, And, uh, you know, kind of going from there. And so, uh, you know, one of the things I thought would be nice to talk about is, uh, especially just having gone to the GABF and, and sat with a lot of my other uh, brewery owning uh, brethren and you know whining and complaining about various things in the beer business that'd be interesting to kind of do a show about the business of beer about the business of the tap room the competitors distribution things like that i thought those are questions that you don't hear answered on any of the brewing network shows you very rarely even on the session hear anything about that sort of aspect of it it tends to to focus more on the the brewing aspect and i think if you're interested in opening a a brewery or a pub or something like that i think it's that's useful information well john you had some uh uh, interesting uh questions and kind of a juxtaposition between your brewery jamil and yours ken's and Mm -hmm. john Mm -hmm. you ask i don't want to do it for you well well i think you know, last show we talked with Ken about, you know, what were his greatest hurdles, what it, you know, lessons learned, what, uh, you know, what would he have done differently in starting out, you know, what has he learned this past year? And I think, again, for a lot of starting nano brewers and, and people planning to get into this, 
you know, what do you see looking forward, Ken? You know, you're a, basically a one-year-old brewery. What necessary steps do you are you thinking about in your mind that you're going to have to tackle in this next year or in the next two years? Um, and I think, you know, Jamil, you are essentially a two-year-old brewery, uh, different scale. Um, but again, th- that same kind of planning is, you know, is, is happening with you. Uh, what do you see as necessary uh, steps looking forward? Um, I think this kind of heads up, you know, giving new brewers, planning brewers, you know, a look at the size of this hill that they're going to climb uh, will be very useful for them. Well, and yeah, and I think, um, you know, we're three and a half years into it. Um, Sorry, three. Yep. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things is, you know, having good business sense, you know, having having a vision. I, you know, I think it's very similar to, uh, you know, we talk about uh, Blickman Engineering and our good friend uh, John Blickman there, sponsor of the show. And yep. uh, I think one of the reasons that Blickman Engineering makes, you know, such good products is because of the passion that they put into it, right? Just like when we're making our beer, we've got the passion behind it. Yep. But the thing that makes... You know, him able to sell, you know, that equipment at a reasonable price and things like that. And us able to sell our beer at a reasonable price and be successful at it is, you know, good business sense. So I think, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, Blickman Engineering, good business sense, good products, you know, uh, you know, passion for what he's doing. So he's successful at it. And I think, you know, those are the you, you need to look at examples of successful businesses, not necessarily in the same space you're in, but, you know, it's helpful to look at other places. You know, why Why is it that, uh, you know, such and such is successful? You know, why Why is it that there's, uh, you know, um, a Walmart in every town? Is it because of, like, the quality of the employees, the quality of the merchandise, or is it that they're, you know aggressive on pricing and things like that you know uh, you know what can you learn from that you know what can you learn from uh you know the other end what can you learn from a neiman marcus store you know what can you learn what you know what kind of business do you want to be in so i think you know asking those questions of other businesses and how they've succeeded or not and how what what kind of model you want to do is really helpful John, you asked, you know, what we advice need to do going forward. Um, yeah, what do you what do you see as necessary next step for your business? I mean, is it just more fermenters? Is it advertising? Is it promotion? You know, what kinds of things do you see to help you to you know firmly help you grow your business or to, or to make your business more successful? Well, you know, it, it is it is more fermenters, but you know, we're we're, we're pretty. Sp- Base constrained, and we have doubled our square footage since last year. We we have about thirty two hundred square feet. We occupy now. Um, we could add more fermenters over there, but the building that we're in does not lend itself to production brewery. Okay, we we can get away with it right now on this small scale, but um, I would never build out a proper brewery 
in that building. It doesn't have any rear access for uh, for a loading dock. And everything comes through the front. It's just it, it's not it's not lending itself to that. The next step for device brewing is really going to be more beer, but it's going to have to be more beer in a second location. It's going to have to be a place where we can build a proper sized brew plant, where we can um, package more beer, where we can bottle out of there, where we can have a you know a larger um, uh, tap room and, and and be able to just put more beer out into the market. And, it, and I don't mean that like flood the market with our beer. It'll still be very small. It'll still, you know, it'll still be a small microbrewery, but we have to meet demand. And, and there's a certain point you have to, you have to produce a certain amount of beer uh, in a month for it actually to pencil out uh, once you get past all your expenses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Jamil, you moved from EJ Fair to your current location. Um, you know, that's kind of the same, a little bit of the same scenario, although you had other, you had other pressures at, at uh, where you were sharing the brewing, uh, brewing plant, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, people have asked me, you know, would you have done the same thing, you know? And I, I think that, you know, that whole scenario, I used to think, well, that, you know, helped us get started. But it, it, in the long run, we would have, would have been far better off to just go ahead and build out the, the first brew plant, do it properly. Um, and, you know, we'd probably be twice the volume we are right now. Um, so why is that? You know, there was just a lot of constraints on sharing a a a building and a brew plant uh, with another brewery. Fermentation uh, you know, space and so yeah, on. they didn't want us to add more. You know, but we needed to add more space, so we you know we spent um, a year, two years, uh, not able to produce any more beer. It was you know we were just stuck at a given volume, so that was rough. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, had we been able to add more fermenters, you know, then it, it might have worked out better. But, you know, it was just, um, you know, the whole facility wasn't it wasn't quite laid out. Um, it was put into a, uh, a really cool building, but a building not really, like Ken saying, ideal for a brewery. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, you know, very low ceilinged basement area where everything had to go and Everything had to go up and down, and uh, it was just it, it, we spent a tremendous amount of labor on that. So, you know, for the here's one of the things you asked about. You know, for the future, um, you know, going to this new facility, I've planned for the future. I see, I have my vision of growth up to sixty, seventy thousand barrels. You know, huge growth, mm-hmm. and I've I, I can I can see every step from when we when i sign the lease on the building to that volume in that building and then i have a pretty good idea of what we would do to go past that but i've got all that mapped out so that's you know a considerable amount mapped out to you know here's where we put this here's what the you know the next step is this is what we need in order to you know keep that going so um i think you know when you a lot of times when I meet people who have these ideas of starting brewery, they have not mapped out how they're going to grow. They're just like, I'm just trying to get open. And they're accepting buildings that, you know, 
won't allow them to grow. They're accepting, you know, conditions uh, from the landlords or the city or things like that that won't allow them to grow. They're 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 taking a lot of restrictions on themselves that are going to prevent them from actually being successful. Because you got to grow, you got to get to a certain volume before you can actually sit there and enjoy a beer while other people work and actually make some money. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise you're just struggling for not even minimum wage. Okay, I want to go back to Ken here for a second. Ken, when you when you moved into the, your current location, I remember you saying that it was kind of ideal in that it was a restaurant previously, so it worked out very well as a you know micro nano micro brew pub, um, and so on. Do you see now that you've been there and? You know, you're producing beer that's meeting demand and uh, and you can see that you have more demand that you can fill. Um, is, I mean, describe your view of your vision, your business plan. Could you, could you be successful or could you be satisfied kind of branching into more of a, a restaurant situation in your current building? Um, instead of going uh, going to an outside production beer plant, yeah, I mean, how does that kind of play out in your mind? Where our kettles sit is where you would put um, a kitchen. Um, that's that's the space that we're utilizing. We've got the space next door. It's a warehouse, and we've got uh, you know we've got cold storage and we've got dry storage. We've got a lot of things going on next door. We've got an office, um, but. You know, we we could move everything to Suite B and then possibly take Suite C um, to, to do production, but we would have to invest a, a tremendous amount of capital to do the infrastructure work in Suite B that would be required for the electrical, the gas, um, ventilation, drainage, you name it. And, and in the end, it's the wrong building d- to do it in. Um, okay. a, a lot of our customers say, well, please don't move away. This You're our neighborhood brewery. We love coming here. We can ride our bikes down the street. It's so close. It's on my way home from work. We hear that a lot. And so we try to, you know, we try to reassure our customers and say, look, if we can help it, this tasting room is not going to go anywhere. We may keep the small brew plant there to do, um, you know, small batch, experimental, seasonal, one-offs, collaborations, you name it. But at some point, it's going to become absolutely necessary as we grow, as our brand recognition grows, as our demand grows. There's going to be a point where we absolutely cannot feasibly brew the amount of beer we need to brew in that location. But we would like to keep that location open. Okay. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, um, more of your questions and more answers right after this. Tonight is the night. We bring the creature to life, Dr. Blitzenstein? Yes, J.P. Law. Everything is perfect for my next fermented creation. But, Roger, the storm is too far away. We'll never have enough power to isomerize the creatures out of the <laughs> Yes, J.P. Law. We will. For I have in my possession the Tower of Power! 
Rickman's new tower of power is the evolution of automation. Control hot liquor, sparge, and mash temps like a pro. The tower of power is a high-quality gas-fired rim system that works with your current brewing setup. With ultra-precision, the tower can hold your mash to one-half of a degree Fahrenheit. Precision and repeatability. The tower of power is the answer to automatic, fast ramp times. See more at BlickmanEngineering.com. Bring your next creation to life with the tower of power. Dr. Blickman's with the tower of power, you can probably give me an afternoon at the pub to enjoy a pint. Don't be silly, J.P. Gore. We have beer to brew. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer. Bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Hey, dude, you know what beer this is? Oh, uh, no, all the labels are falling off. Yeah, or the ink is run. Well, if it's the pale ale, you're good, but stay away from the quote-unquote Belgian. Oh, man, this guy needs to get some grog tags. Grog tags are reusable, write-on, wipe-off, commercial-grade bottle labels for your brew. The guys at Grog Tag are homebrewers. They wanted great-looking, sturdy labels for your bottles, buckets, carboys, kegs, and growlers. They also wanted a label that not only looks good, but can be easily removed and reapplied during bottling without that nasty glue residue being left behind. No residue, water-resistant, and ice chest approved. Grog Tags stay on in water or an ice chest, and they stay legible. Visit grogtag.com to Customize your label or coaster from dozens of different templates for free and see how awesome your bottles can look. Ugh, it's that pseudo-Belgian. Yeah, we're getting him some grog tags, dude. Grog tag. At least your beer will look good. Grogtag.com. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerone are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, 
kind of the business of uh, brewing and breweries and uh, things like that. Um, you know, at GABF, uh, a few of us got to talking, and, and one of my friends, he he was lamenting the fact that, uh, you know, he opened his place when there was nothing else around, and he really, you know, converted this entire region into loving craft beer and he was the you know the slamming place and then after doing this for you know quite a few years now there's a bunch of new upstarts you know in the area people with uh, you know small brew kits coming in and you know starting up and and he was glad to see that glad to see craft beer growing but the thing the problem he had was no business sense from these guys so they would open up, you know, with in, in a possibly sized brew kit, um, and even if they did, you know, have a bigger sized brew plant, they weren't running their business efficiently. They were all doing, you know, he was telling me about one guy doing like half price happy hour, and sure enough, it you know took a bunch of customers away from his place, got them over to this other place where they're drinking half price beer. And, uh, but then this, this place, the guy was, was, uh, telling him, he said, you know, uh, you know, what's, what's wrong with my business? I, you know, there's only people here during happy hour. It's nice and busy, but the rest of the time I'm not selling a drop. There's not a, a soul in the place. And he's like, of course not. Because when you discount your beer, when you sell stuff, uh, at a lower price, what you what you tend to generate is consumers that are interested in your low price beer. They expect you, you know, that's the true price and the price you're selling for other times, it's too high. And so they're, they become very focused on that, that discount. And you offer that discount every day. They're just going to show up for the discount. They're not going to show up the rest of the time. Do you do any, any pricing happy hour things, Ken? We tried it on a trial basis, and it didn't didn't work very well. Um, we did uh, three to five p.m. Thursdays and Fridays. We knocked uh, you know we knocked a buck off of some beers, two mm-hmm. bucks off of other beers, depending on what it was. And you know, for the first you know, week or two that we were doing it, we saw you know people, hey, all right, let's go in there. But then we saw it basically settle back down to what it was before. So mm-hmm. it didn't really, in fact, increase uh, sales during those uh, you know, that two hour period. Those You're two just days giving a week. money away. We were, and, and, and we, we went ahead and did away with it because at the end of the month, we weren't seeing any difference during those hours. So we thought, well, it's obviously not working. Right. Um, so we stopped doing it. And honestly, I think I've had one customer that came up to me and asked about it. Well, and I'll tell you why that this does not work, and it's not a model for tasting rooms. Happy hour is a reason that uh, a restaurant uses, a restaurant bar uses to draw people in that also sit there and order high you know full price food or they'll they'll do you know discounted appetizers so people will come in and drink lots of beer at full price to get them maybe also to come in hour earlier than they would have otherwise right yeah right and you know but it doesn't do any good to shift those customers from a, a time when it's full price to a time when it's discounted and not have them stay longer if you're just moving them to a different time slot and discounting it, 
you're not doing yourself any good. Unless you're so busy during those other times that you can't fit more customers in and you want to move some customers to some other times, perhaps. But otherwise, you're not doing yourself any good. You need an overall increase in business in order for it to make sense. And and unfortunately, when you when you do something like that, you're you don't have other items to sell that is making up for the loss that you're taking on the beer. Beer is the thing you have to sell, so you you don't want to discount it. And the other issue that uh, some of these guys, the new guys that came in, were having was um, one of them was uh, giving away free peanuts and all the peanuts you could eat. So. Uh, they also had other food. They they had like appetizers and stuff that they would make and sell. But he was like, you know, nobody's buying the food. People are eating peanuts. They're going through a thousand dollars in a little tasting room. A thousand dollars in peanuts every month. Wow, wow. Ken and I were talking, <laughs> and we've offered some you know bowls of snacks and stuff. You can easily go through a thousand dollars in snacks. Wow, no my, problem. My favorite fun fact is that, um, <laughs> well, was. Um, we we spend more money every month on pretzels than we do firing our kettles. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a there's another wow. uh, there's another tap room around the corner from the hop grenade here, uh, and they do that. They keep pretzels on every table in in bowls. Mm-hmm. And I've often wondered. I mean, is it negligible the cost? I mean, if you're no, you no, guys are all shaking your heads. No, well, and I, I don't really know what benefit it's giving other than. They don't offer any other snacks, and if maybe if they mm-hmm. did, I'd buy them. And the pretzels kind of get stale, you know. And well, and legally, um, you can't put a bowl of pretzels out and let people just stick their grubby hands into pretzel bowls. You have to give an individual serving a fresh serving to a customer. You can't have a bowl that multiple customers have reached into. That's not allowed. Otherwise, you'll get Ebola. Right. Right. Is right. That it? <laughs> exactly. So. You know, if if you put a bowl of pretzels out for a customer and they take a pretzel off of it and they eat that, when they leave, you have to dump that bowl of pretzels. You have to wash the bowl, and then you can refill it with fresh pretzels from a properly stored thing of pretzels to your next customer. You don't keep the same bowl of pretzels for everybody. But a lot of places do that, and it's absolutely nasty. That's why you don't want to ever... <laughs> reach into uh, you know some bowl of peanuts or something like that peanuts in the shell are a little bit different story because they have a shell on them it'd be like a bunch of bananas you could leave out bananas because they have their own skin that are not consumed you can peel that off and that's fine but not pretzels or shelled peanuts you can't do that so ken from this whole thing <laughs> I, well, I'm, I'm just absorbing silence is agreement as the uh, the torah says <laughs> okay. It's a famous passage. <laughs> I'm wondering uh, what, um, through this whole process, um, what what surprised you? Where to begin? Um, the, the, certainly the, the sheer number of tasks that need to be addressed in a given week, I'd say, would be the, the biggest surprise. Because, as Jamil pointed out, and he's absolutely right, you know, you're br- brewing the beer cellaring the beer this is part of it it's a fundamental part of it but it is just a part of it um i spend countless hours a week uh on phone calls answering emails um writing uh my my reports we have brewers have to fill out 
quarterly reports, but I do them monthly because the state wants their excise tax monthly. So mm-hmm. I do, I basically right. do a TTB report every month that I don't file, but then mm-hmm. I use that for my state. And then when my quarterly TTB comes up, I just sum up the three, it saves me a little bit of time. And, uh, you know, these are the things you spend hours, hours and hours and hours on. I was mm-hmm. doing my TTB report, my, my quarterly for, for the third quarter. I was up at 4 a.m. so that I could have some peace and quiet before my three-year-old woke up, and then it would be game off, and I'd either have to go to the brewery to finish it up or you know, shut the door and, and be, a, you know, be a mean daddy. So you know, these, are, these are the things you just don't think well, about. And, you know, it's not a report where you just like, oh, right, fill in a number here, fill in a number there. Okay, done. No, no. it is the most torturous of reports. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the way that this thing is laid out and the the categories and and the the math well, involved in this thing. They oh. want to know every last little thing. How much you produced? How much you racked over to Brights? How much you right. racked into kegs? How much, how much was, was lost? How much, how much was, was consumed in the tap room? How much went out in kegs? Mm-hmm. How much went out in bottles? Exporting, importing, uh, destroyed under supervision. Destroyed, you know, <laughs> at another facility or destroyed at your facility. If it's at another facility, then you need to have gotten permission. And then there's, uh, and then the, the way the column you like sum up all these columns in both directions, and then they need to match this other set of columns on the second half. And if it doesn't match, then there's something wrong. And then and it's an, and it's all these things. But by categories, like the cellar, the kegs, the bottles, the indeterminate, the, the bulk. I mean, we actually uh, did some, some beer for a distillery, and that's a whole nother category. And it's like, oh, my God, how, you know, it, it's just a consider. It, and, and it's not just that. You actually have to track. You have to have log sheets. With your signature under the penalty of perjury, that that's the true inventory every month, that that's what you keg, that's what you bottle, that's what you rack, that's what you produced, all your all that stuff has to be kept. You have to keep every little bit of paper. You have to keep paperwork on all the materials that came in. So all the grain that you received, you need to keep those bills of lading. You have to file them with how much you took in. And that needs to match how much you say you use to produce everything. So this is a common error that people don't do. They they don't uh, they they for, they don't bother tracking what's come in. And you have to save all those pieces of paper for three years. So when the TTB comes, you can give them this giant cases of paper saying, "Here's all our receipts," and uh, they can go through the whole thing and. Um, they need to know how much malt you used, how much hops you used, how much hop extract you used, how much other ingredient you used, like you know if you use dextrose or something like that, you got to track that as well. All that needs to be added up, and it needs to match all your receipts. Because if you're bringing in a bunch of grain and you're not showing it produced into beer, ah, you're you know cheating on your taxes, right? Is this is this do you see this as a, a little bit tyrannical? Like at what point is it tyranny? Well, I think that, you know, when you're dealing with a giant business, you know, uh, a large producer of millions and millions of gallons of beer every, you know, couple of days, yeah, it's substantial and I think there needs to be some checks and balances on those businesses in order cuz otherwise, I mean, 
you know, if they just let a little bit drip out underneath the rug, it could be substantial. So I see that. And then they have the resources to properly do this. But when you're a small brewer, it's a huge amount of effort. I think, you know, for small brewers, they maybe they could come up with a law that's like, okay, if you're under X number of barrels, you just tell them how, much, how many barrels you produced and we'll trust you on it. You know, that type of thing. But I don't know that that's ever going to happen. So we, we have the same restrictions and same, you know, auditing and tracking that the largest brewers in the world have in, in the United States. Well, an interesting question just occurred to me, Jamil. Uh, given that you have to do all that tracking, um, how easy or convenient or inconvenient is it for, say, a home brew club to uh, buy – some malt from you oh that's a good question um hmm. uh i mean we haven't sold any malt to any home brewers but uh john needs some that's why he's asking <laughs> right yeah hey buddy um yeah I, I don't know I, I i'm not sure how you track that i guess you would just track it as a sale out from the brewery and it's just as long as you're keeping track of that and then they sh- you should be good well, and if you you know you figure how much malt does a, does a homebrew club really need compared to the amount of malt you brought in, and mm-hmm. your your malt reporting uh, relative to the number of barrels you produced, there's obviously some you know there's some right. variance there. So you efficiency get, you know, and you're yeah. gonna you, you could let a sack go here and there, and it probably wouldn't affect it. But right. I haven't given away any malt either. But I have um, I have given away yeast, but the the, the TTB doesn't ask us to report right. our yeast. Right. That's next. Yeah. <laughs> new legislation coming soon. Well, and, and speaking of next, have you uh, tried out the new uh, uh, Sour Hour show? Have I? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, you know, when I'm not having an out-of-body experience. You're part of doing the show, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Well, I, I meant it as in, like the royal you. Oh. You know, Ken, John. I have not. I have to tune into that. Sounds you, interesting. It is. It is. It is. You know, Jay uh, from the uh, Rare Barrel. Uh, master of of making sour beers. If you really are interested in making some great sour beers, uh, check it out. It is uh, once a month on uh, Wednesdays. Wednesday Wednesdays at five p.m. Pacific. 5 PM. Uh, it's usually toward the end of the month. The next one's coming up this Wednesday, October twenty second. You can look. Yeah. Uh, we try to give you as much notice as possible on the uh, social medias. Mm-hmm. And I love Jay. Super nice guy, and uh, really intelligent. Really uh, knows his stuff. So. Uh, Great show to listen to. Indeed. We've Check only done out. two so far, but yeah, Jay's been killing it. You know, it's funny. Jay's uh, last name is Goodwin. And you know how people's last names will often correlate to what, you know, blacksmith, what your ancestors did, builder, mm-hmm. whatever. Shithead. <laughs> in, in my family's case. But with Jay's, I wonder, like, Goodwin. Uh-huh. I mean, that's I, what his ancestors were obviously a good good flock, right? Good win. I mean, it, it's his name's. Think about it. His name's not Jay. You're so excited about this. It's well. It's his name's not Bad Lose, right? Yeah. It could be worse. I'm just saying. I don't know. These are the I, things I think about when I'm home alone and the power's out. It's good win, but is it? I imagine it was probably related to like good wind. It was maybe like sailors, sailors? or something. Oh, you know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or horse racing. Probably, right. Well, Scott, in your case, I mean, um, I don't think it means what you guys think it means. I'm just saying. Were your ancestors Russian comedians, perhaps? (laughs) Yeah. In Soviet Russia, car drives you. Yeah. No, they were uh, Polish. 
Polish. Oh, okay. But yes, they were comedians. All Jews are comedians, John. Come on. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It is It is the national or the uh, the racial talent that, uh, that goes with it, right? Exactly. There you are. Makes perfect sense. Uh, did we take a break? No, we didn't. We should. Okay. I have and a good question we'll... after, the, uh, after the break. Does it have anything to do with beer or brewing? Uh, no, it has to do with big government. Okay. Well, let's do this. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll hear Scott's question about big government right after this. A few things happened 30 years ago. ARPANET migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that Hop Tech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. Hop Tech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit Visit the store in Dublin, California, and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at hoptech.com. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can. Featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Suck it, JP. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamil Zanishev, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering, but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients, backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging, but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater 
for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific Time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like pub discounts that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more, Zymergy Magazine, and eZymergy. For tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love. And access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join right now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking the business of brewing with uh, Ken Anthony from Device Brewing in Sacramento. And uh, we're we're kind of, uh, during the break, lamenting <laughs> the fact that you know, you keep growing, you keep, uh, you know, reinvesting, and you ask yourself, so at what point can I stop, you know, just pumping everything into this and actually, like, get some money back out of, you know, my investment? Uh, you know, what? how That's does this eventually start to produce uh, cash and not just suck cash when, all the time? When AB InBev uh, buys you out. <laughs> there you go. All right. Do you have, a, like, a phone number for them or, you know? <laughs> One eight hundred Budweiser. There you go. And it's it's tricky. Uh, you know, when back when I was first looking at uh, you know the, the potential for a brewery, I was told, okay, like at five thousand barrels, that's when you get to a break even, and or you know you, you kind of switch from it's just breaking even or or just sucking up cash to it's actually generating cash on a packaging brewery on a on a brew pub. I was told, you know, eight hundred to a thousand barrels or you know, around in there. And just recently, I was told by multiple people, again, when I asked, so at what point do I start to actually making money? And they were like, well, you know, it seems like seven to 8,000 barrels on a production brewery and maybe 1,500 on a brew pub. Well, it'll always be 25% higher than what you're right. doing. Right, yeah, whatever I'm producing, <laughs> it's always, yeah, it's, it's you know, a little bit further, a little bit further. It's like when you're dealing with kids and, you know, you, you know, they get a walk somewhere, just a little bit farther, a little, little bit farther. Uh, it's the my carrot. Feet are tired. It's the carrot, right? You'll have candy when we get there. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's yeah, one of those things. I'm still waiting to take a paycheck. Oh, It'll be nice. Yeah. Well, it's 25 percent more, and, and I'll, can, I'll be there. And you'll yeah. be there. Yeah, you'll you get it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just just keep going until I get there. Then it'll be 25 percent more. Right. Well, yeah. You know, I wonder how uh, how if this if it really surprised us 
Um, you can tell me if it surprised you guys. How many uh, things are based on your gross sales and not your net sales? Uh, first and foremost, rent paid to the landlord. They base all that percentage rent stuff. When you rent a commercial space or, mm-hmm. or, or maybe a retail space like we do, mm-hmm. then, like for a tap room, you pay – your set rent, and then you pay a percentage rent once you get past a certain threshold. But the threshold is based on gross sales, mm-hmm. not your profitability. Mm-hmm. Same thing with uh, taxes. It's all based on your gross sales, not mm-hmm. your net. Mm-hmm. So basically, the only person interested in you being profitable is you. Everybody <laughs> else, all they care about... A slice of your nut, yeah. Right, which which to me is it's just unbelievably short-sighted on everybody's part. Because mm-hmm. if you do it based on... And people go, well, well, you know, so many businesses aren't profitable, so they wouldn't be able to collect nearly as much. Well, you know how many businesses would be profitable if not for huge burdens placed on them by the things I just mentioned? Mm-hmm. So uh, did is that the case for you guys, and did well, it surprise you? Our rent doesn't go up when we make more sales. Right, right, right. But, you know, yeah, a lot of things are determined off of, you know, the gross. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, you know, along those lines, um, you know, the one of the reasons is if they were to allow it to be off of the net, the problem is people can – you can adjust that net. Uh, you, can, you can soak up profit quite quickly and say, nah, we didn't make any money. You know, you can pay yourself more. You can do all sorts of different uh, shenanigans so that the business is not actually netting anything. So that's why, like, when we we have a loan that helped, you know, build our, our new facility, they look at, you know, not necessarily – they want to see a net profit, but they're more interested in seeing, you know, what kind of money's coming in. You know what kind of uh, you know products going out? How, you know how much we're we're actually our our net rev our our actual uh, you know gross revenues, and that's a, a much more important number because they also realize we're using a lot of the money that comes in to buy more equipment, and so they're okay with that. They're like, yeah, that's that's fine. You know, just don't you know stop taking in revenue. Right. So in a way, it, it can work for you too. Yeah, because if they worried just about net, well, nobody would give us a loan. You, that's true, and, and what you said makes perfect sense. Uh, but it's there's just something that doesn't quite sit right. But I mean, Amazon, right. mm-hmm. how much Amazon does an unbelievably gigantic amount of revenue, inconceivable mm-hmm. amount of revenue, but they're mm-hmm. not profitable. So how how important is the the the, the revenue number? I mean, it's important, but it, profitability yeah, is the key. You for, know, for, if you're a landlord, right. don't you want the guy to go through his ten year lease? I mean, if he's not sure. profitable on month number eight, you're screwed too. Right. Well, and um, you know, it's the initial. Well, that's why they have you sign personal guarantees on a lot of the stuff. That's why the you know the initial um, uh, period they uh, you know. They they have to they have to get something from it and you know the you know on something like Amazon, you know it's it's the potential for later on. You know this is why you know it's like uh, businesses that never made a penny. Uh, you know their stock sells for huge huge multiples because what? Well, they got the potential to eventually charge the daylights out of all Facebook users, you know, and make money or something like that or sell tons of ads and. That's why, you know, the stock is so valuable and, you know, a lot of nonsense like that. It is nonsense. Nonsense. Balderdash, to use your term from the... Uh, Rubbish. 20s and 30s, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't think uh, balderdash is, is the term? Uh, what kind of balderdash uh, 
Uh, have you been you have chat? What? From the chat room? Uh, no one's monitoring it because Bevo had a doctor's appointment for her sick kid. Uh, okay. So for all I know, they're in there go. asking questions, and she couldn't just let her child wither away. She got to you know abandon the chat room. She was worried about Ebola. Bevo was. Was she <laughs> seriously? Yeah, I did. I mean, I you know I talked her off the ledge, but it's amazing to me how many people are are, are, are actually concerned. It's unbelievable. Well, I, I I tell I'll tell you this. I think it's. Not as much to worry about as some people would, but I think it's nowhere near as non-panic a situation as the government would have you believe because people putting on all this protective gear, still getting Ebola, it, it it's a little easier to get than, oh, no, you have to rub your face in the person's poo and blood. I don't think it's quite that <laughs> that hard to catch. I think you catch it like a, you catch a cold. That is that is not my understanding. Yeah. By the way, this is also the third hysteria over Ebola in the last fifteen years. The third one. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You know, right after you get your uh, your heterosexual AIDS and SARS and swine flu and avian flu and uh, there's too much fluoride in your drinking water. It, see, it seems Ebola seems a touch easier to get than AIDS. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we have different lifestyles, but for me, I, I don't worry about getting AIDS. Really, it's like a yeah. typical Saturday night. You know. Right. 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 And then Monday you're at the clinic. Yeah. Uh, how do we loop? Uh, has anyone gotten AIDS in your tap room, Ken? I'm just trying to loop this back into here. <laughs> Not that we're aware of. There was that noise in the bathroom that time. Yes. We did, however, have and it's completely different. But we did have um, a customer that came in who was um, highly, highly allergic to gluten, and uh, she she hadn't had a beer in ten years because of her gluten allergy. Celiac, right? So she said to me, do you, do you make any ciders? I said, well, no, I don't make a cider. That's a, it's a winemaker's license. We make beer here. And she said, well, I, I'm allergic to gluten and I can't have gluten. I said, well, you know, we do add White Labs Clarity Firm to all our beers. She said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, it not only helps clear up the beer, but also makes it, um, you know, below, on average, below 20 parts per million of gluten. So she said she wanted to try a beer and I told her, well, I'm... I can't guarantee that this stuff works as well as they say it does. So I gave her, I gave her a beer. She had a beer. Half hour later, she came back, got another beer. I said, how do you feel? She said, I feel great. I said, well, do you email me tomorrow. So she emailed me the next day and said that she was absolutely blown away that White Labs Clarity Firm was her, was her you know, savior for beer drinking. Wow. And she had absolutely no ill effects from it. So That's amazing. What, yeah. is it, what does that stuff do? Uh, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's an anti-haze. Yeah, you know? it's an so enzyme it's, that, mm-hmm. that breaks apart... The gluten molecule. Well, and, and what it's working on is the proteins that uh, uh, cause the issue with, uh, you know, for celiacs. Um, you know, it, 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 it's that specific spot, and it's really just for for clarity, so it doesn't bond with the tannins and, and form this, you know, uh, tannin polyphenol complex thing and cause haze. So it's just trying to stop that, but. In Lo fact, I can tell you that there's a good explanation of the whole gluten and enzyme uh, celiac relationship in the new upcoming malt book from Brewer's Publications that well, John there, Mallow wrote. There you go. Do they talk about uh, such things as gluten and celiacs on the uh, Dr. Homebrew Show? I believe, yeah, they cover all topics on the Dr. Homebrew Show. Well, there you go. That's a, another great show from the Brewing Network that you can listen to. You got uh, You got this fine dangling turd here we call Bruce Strong. 
You got the other dangling turd I do called the Jamil Show. You got uh, you got the the session. That's quality. That's some good some good laughs and that, some good information. Lots of fiber in that turd. Or what lots, was it? Uh, lots, grain. Lots, what lots was of brand. 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 Lots of brand in that one. <laughs> and then uh, you got uh, you got your uh, your Doctor Homebrew, where they talk about the the uh, you know improving your homebrew. You got the uh, Sour Hour. Uh, you got the uh, uh, you used to have the uh, homebrew chef. I'm not sure they're doing that anymore. I think uh, Sean. I don't know what happened to him. Jesus, he got taller. I think he got busy. Uh, he got busy, and then uh, what else we got? I don't know. What show wise? Yeah, uh, we did the shower hour, Doctor right. Homebrew. Oh, and bring yeah, well, no, we covered it all. Covered it all. There you go. So uh, lots of good things to listen to, and uh, you know it's from fine sponsors like. Uh, Blickman Engineering that uh, these shows are are possible so check check out the sponsors uh, as you get a chance where, where do you add the, uh, the 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 white lapse product in the process how do you uh, add it add knockout okay so just, it goes in, part, goes into goes in during fermentation okay it goes into unfermented chilled word but I was wondering if it it should be possible to just add it to fermented beer shake it up let us settle and should eventually work the same yeah yeah it should is it just in a, a vial it just looks like a yeast pitch no it's, it's, it's a, a clear liquid it's in a jug yeah it's a clear liquid we 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 dose they sell you know, a certain number of fluid ounces yeah. per barrel they sell it in homebrew little tube sizes okay and it's so. it's just flavorless odorless clear liquid i've never tasted it it's clear though well it has to be flavorless right i mean if you're adding it to beer i never tasted it Right. It may have some sort of flavor. Who knows? It, it, but it's, it's, it's a small number colored. I mean, let's, let's put it to you this way. I, I do I do about, um, I don't know, about an ounce or less, a fluid ounce, mm-hmm. per 105 gallons of if, beer. If he, was, he, if he was to add something very flavorful, like a dose of love into the into the beer, <laughs> you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't taste that? You wouldn't taste the love. So well, there you go. I've tasted it before, and it, it has a flavor. <laughs> There you go, and you wouldn't notice that. So this you wouldn't you wouldn't notice either. But yeah, in theory, you could just add this to any any beer that uh, you wanted to drink. Shake it up and let it settle, and you'd probably be good. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Well, we so. got a good uh, question about uh, market saturation. Maybe after the break. Yeah, let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll uh, get to uh, the caller on the phone right after this. Northern Brewer presents What If Homebrewers Ruled the World. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll follow me, I will lead you into the gallery area. Now, the first piece up for sale today is a Jamil Zena Chef original, a bottle of 1997 vintage Evil Twin. Oh, I see. A bidding for this one-of-a-kind piece will start at £7,000. And if you'll continue to follow me, ladies and gentlemen, I can show you a rather abstract piece from Bay Area brewer Justin Crossley. It's a German Doppelbach entitled Justin's Giant Bach. The brewer's notes here indicate that this beer had excellent mouth food. That's just a crazy dream. and the finest selection of home-brewing goods for the future. 
Have you ever dreamed of attending the World Brewing Academy? This year, thanks to Lalamond and Anstar, one lucky brewer will make that dream a reality for free. Lalamond and Danstar invite you to enter the Beer School 2015 contest. One lucky grand prize winner will receive fully paid tuition to the 2015 World Brewing Academy web-based concise course in brewing technology worth almost $4,000. From now until December 13, 2014, every Danstar yeast packet you use is your ticket to enter. Visit danstaryeast.com for the details and to print your official entry form. There's no limit on the number of times you can enter, so get brewing with Danstar and get your entries in to the Danstar 2015 Beer School Contest. Whether you want to build your home brewing skills or build a career as a professional brewer, this course will change the way you think of beer and brewing. Enter at danstaryeast.com and get the dry yeast advantage with Danstar and Lalamond Premium Brewing Yeast and enter to win. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the home brewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your home brew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read your way to better homebrew. Hi, I'm Jason Harris, the proud owner here at Keystone Homebrew Supply. We're thrilled to be entering our 20th year of supplying this great industry. And to show you, the Brewing Network Army, how much we appreciate your support, we're offering you 10% off your first order on our website, keystonehomebrew.com. Just use coupon code BNARMY at checkout, and I'll get your order out the same day. My goal at Keystone Homebrew Supply has always been to have a complete supply of everything a brewer could want. When you place your order online or when you come into our store, it's our goal to have everything on your list and more. One aspect of KeystoneHomebrew.com that we're really excited about is the ability to fulfill customers' exact grain bills. Do you hate to wait? Keystone Homebrew Supply can get your precious yeast and hops to you within just one day if you live between Connecticut and Virginia and within two days east of the Mississippi. KeystoneHomebrew.com I'm Jason Harris and I approve this message. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back, and we got a caller on the line. We're talking the the, the business of uh, of uh, brewing, and. Uh, if you have questions and you're listening live, you can actually call in uh, 888-401-BEER, and uh, Scott will run back and forth to the booth since Bevo isn't here, and he'll answer the phone, and uh, there you go. That's all it takes. Uh, I wear many hats oh. around here. None of them are red. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the tassel on that one. Blind guy. Hey, hey, blind guy. Hey, what's up, dude? It's our friend, the blind guy. Hey, guys. Hey. What's your hey, question? Um, 
I guess you're all preparing for the Giants to win the series, huh? Is that why this is on a, a Friday in the middle of the afternoon because it's going to be uh, <laughs> don't you jinx out of it? Control? Don't you this jinx is, it? This is the only time we're you know, sober well, enough to you, do a show. Let me tell you, the only reason they're if the Sox were in it to win it, you guys, I'm sorry. It's the only they're going through a building phase, so they said, "Hey, we're going to leave it to somebody else." Uh huh. Well, I'm glad it's uh, us. I'm glad it's us. I, I've got this. In, I've got this. This internal internal turmoil going on, and and it's the image is imagine if you will John Belushi in an angel's outfit on one shoulder, and John on the other shoulder in a devil's outfit, and every time John whispers sweet nothings about even thinking about getting into the brewery business, uh, the other one runs across my shoulder and beats the hell out of him with a pitchfork. <laughs> yeah, like uh, what was it? The old uh, the old samurai uh, delicatessen in laundry, right? Yes. Okay, listen. Here, here's here's my question. Um, the 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 BA has reported something on the order of what thirty five hundred permits applied for in in just the first six months of this year, and, and I'm wondering if this is 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 similar to that first bubble that we went through, what in the in the uh, middle I guess to late nineties, and 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 how that what was there ninety percent failure rate on that, and and I'm wondering and worry to a certain extent, about that same thing going on again with all these permits and all these people thinking, oh, it's just about brewing beer. It's not about business. It's, you know, and, and these bankers and investors, again, going through the same thing and and pulling back because of that situation, because of that mm-hmm. fear of getting burned again and that same bubble bursting, yeah. you know, that, that it's going to be. Well, let, let, let's, let me clarify real quick first. Yeah. So there's about 3,500 operating breweries now. And mm-hmm. you're saying, blind guy, that 3,500 more applied just this year? In the first six From months. That sounds like yeah. that can't be right. Is that right? There's there's a ton of applications, but the, the thing is, uh, are, are people intending to open breweries? Uh, out of the number of people that intend to open a brewery, you know, only like 10% actually get to the point where they they get licensed and start producing beer. Okay. I mean, there's you know there's there's a so th- the bubble back in the past um, and you know so a couple of things and now I've lost my train of thought because Scott just messed me up, man. With his well, glowing glowing red beard, out. I couldn't. I <laughs> just can't you know focus. Um, focus on my jersey. Focus right, on San Francisco right. blazing across my chest. Um, stop rubbing your breasts. Um, that's distracting me again. Uh, no, no. The so so. Here's one of the things about about the 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 people who are coming into the market now, and the people who came in the market back in the '90s that screwed things up. I don't believe, you know, when it's the people who know about beer that are passionate about beer can brew great beer, and don't know a lot about business. I think you know that's not as much a problem for the industry. Yeah, some of those people go out because they didn't have enough capital. I think the people that are a real problem for the industry are, and I see this now and I saw this back then, it's people who are going in just because they think it's a business they can make money at. They're like, well, this craft beer thing, look, there, you know, here's, you know, sales going through the roof. Uh, we can make a lot of money at that. Think about that. And, you know, they, are they buy a place they buy some equipment and they know nothing about what they're doing they don't homebrew they don't know good beer there's i i've 
seen I, I know of some examples where guy knows restaurants has a bunch of restaurants no clue that the beer they're brewing is horrible he's you know spreading it out to his five restaurants he's doing this doing that and you know you know people that uh you know for them it's a commodity and what's the cheapest source of beer oh brew your own okay yeah let's let's do that and and that i think hurts the business that i think hurts the industry those people i want to see go away and those people will go away because they're going to realize oh we're not making any money at this thing and those are the kind of people where, you know, they're more, you know, business related and they'll have, you know, got extended credit and that will hurt, you know, the availability of money to breweries and things like that. So you, know, you got to be more like Ken. You got to be like, hey, I'll fund this whole thing myself. You know, I'm not taking any money from anybody, you know, I, you know, so you're not worried about you know, what kind of loans you're going to get, things like that. Um, Quality first. Yeah. So I wonder if people yeah. do you so it, people in the the late '90s bubble maybe mm-hmm. got into it for the brewing, and people that are doing it now are getting into it for the business. Is that no, fair to say? In, in the '90s, they, the same thing same happened. Thing. Hmm. It was like, oh, look at this craft beer thing, and then people just buying in, you know, that with no knowledge of beer, and that's when you get you know get crappy products. And we're talking to yeah, an audience. We're yeah. talking to right, and we're talking to an audience that is really into the passion about beer, thing, and they yeah. don't know the business. And but the right. people entering are maybe the I. Opposite. I have less worry about people who. I mean, I worry that you know they they don't know the business aspect, but at least you know I think if you understand the, the product, you're not going to get squeezed out on a bad product angle. You know when when there's a lot of people in the marketplace, you know it's like when there's nine frozen yogurt shops you know that go into a town it shakes out because well you know a lot of them just don't know how to run a business the yogurt was the same everywhere right you know um yeah if you can differentiate and make better yogurt well that 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 saves you and i think in the beer world that that's true too but for keep in mind for the vast majority of the population craft beer is a commodity it isn't a, a, an exciting thing where you know about the different breweries that's a small segment of the population right it is just another commodity and since we're all in that segment it, we can kind of get lost in that and think that everybody mm-hmm. thinks that way but almost nobody does in point of fact yep blind guy thanks for the call man always good to hear from you you know, I've got some friends, uh, other brewers that brew for various different breweries who they don't have, um, they don't have creative control because they have uh, a couple of investors, the, the people who are truly behind the brewery financially. Mm-hmm. And those people are, are in it because it's the hot thing. You know, well, it's craft beer. We're going to, we're going to move in. We're going to open this thing up. We're going to kill it. And, and, and then the brewer, is sitting there going, no, th- this is how we've got to do it, but they don't have the chips to play with. You know, they, they've got they've got their they've got their skill, they've got their recipes they bring to the table. They may have you know a small stake in in the entire deal, but at the end of the day, it's their investors, it's the money men behind the deal that pull the strings. Mm-hmm. And so these guys, their hands are tied 
they can't they can't buy the ingredients they want to buy. They're forced to buy you know lower right. grade grain. Mm-hmm. They're forced to buy certain uh, hops varieties, and 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 they're forced to push out beer as fast as they can to have as many different beers on draft as possible instead of just saying, hey, let's just do four or six really well. No, we're going to do twelve. Mm-hmm. And and then I talk to these guys, they're lamenting over the fact that they can't just do it for the sake of brewing great beer. Mm-hmm. They're they're doing it because some I can't well, say what they are, but they're these people it's, who it's are just be doing a business it for the money. Too. Of course a it's a business, right. but if you if you're if you're treating it like a commodity, mm-hmm. it's when you have people that right. have deep pockets who see the writing on the wall that hey craft beer is cracking right now, let's get out there, let's get a piece mm-hmm. of that pie. You're 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 gonna you're gonna see a beer that reflects that not beer that reflects the passion for those right. of us who are complete nerds about beer and live and breathe and drink craft beer. It's what we do. It's who we are. And it's why I walked away from a very you know promising and lucrative profession as an engineer to do something that I was truly, absolutely crazy about. And that is high quality beer. Well, and speaking of getting a piece of that pie, uh, have you checked out our fine sponsor, adamandeve.com? You know, if you like the good piece of pie, uh, I'm just saying, uh, adamandeve.com, a great place to go after you've enjoyed a a nice slice of like apple pie or peach pie, something like that. Uh, You know, you might, while you're enjoying your pie, go to adamandeve.com and check out some of the great things that they got there. There's a lot of adult products. Uh, you know, if you enjoy uh, sharing some time with somebody special in life, or even if you're all by yourself, hey, you can find some goodies there. If you use the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, at adamandeve.com, for a limited time, you're going to get a 50% off of just about any one item that they have to offer. You, you know, buy the one item. That's all the money you're going to part with. Then they're going to give you free shipping, a free extra gift so essential I can't mention it, and three free adult DVDs. And you don't get just get any DVDs. You get to choose from uh, categories such as anal amateration, big breasts, big butts, bisexual, chunky co-eds, uh, lesbian, gay, MILF, POV, and a few others. I can't really remember. That was decidedly worse. Do they have Harry? <laughs> what? Do they have Harry? Harry, yes. It's on the topic of pie. Yeah, yeah they have Harry. They have pie lovers. Uh, they got it all. Cream filling. Cream filling. Cream filled. Uh, they got it. They, they, they had any kind of pastry you're looking for. And uh, like I said, you know, all you're going to part with is 50% off just uh, the one item. And uh, and they got good pricing. Uh, amazing deal. So check it out. AdamandEve.com. You can even do it for your mobile phone. Use the off code Jamel. J-A-M-I-L at AdamandEve.com today. All right. Uh, let's kind of wrap this up. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, a lot of good stuff. I, I think we could do another couple hours of uh, this sort of thing. Because you never really hear about it, I think. I think uh, well, we'll have people to don't want to talk about that sort of thing. Yeah. Have to keep this topic uh, going every couple couple shows. Yeah. Ken, thank you very much for coming down and spending the time with us. And it's my think, pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having yeah, me here. Thank very you. useful. It helps us uh, talk about things that normally we don't get a chance to talk about. It'd be interesting to get like uh, you know like Ken Grossman in here or something. So we have like the true small, medium, large. Uh, the round, Kens. Round we'd, have the, we'd have the little Ken and the big Ken. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Would you guys Small, have to call me Kenny? Medium. <laughs> Multiple size Kens. Yes. Yeah, you'd be Kenny. <laughs> I'd have to be Kenny in that, in that situation. There you go. <laughs> well, if you like this show, you like the, the, what we do, uh, make sure you reach out to our sponsors, especially Blickman Engineering. Check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. You know, they've been paying for this show for like eight years, so you haven't had to. 
And I think that's a great thing. They make lots of good stuff. So uh, lots of fun things there. And check out uh, the Brain Network store, thebrainnetwork.com slash store. Books, hats, hoodies, glassware, all sorts of stuff. You buy that. All that profit goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and helps keep shows like this on the air. Till then, Bruce Strong, everybody. Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong.